0: Disability Law Show, we are uh, right back at it. You want to reach out any time to get a hold of Savan, member of the crew, one 855 821 Email, which we will be referring to throughout the show today, is help at disabilityrights.ca, and simply disabilityrights.ca is the website catch uh past shows and link to the television show as well so lots to uh to feast upon there we will get to uh in a little bit brother the uh pocket employment lawyer some details about how that affects you as well not just employment that is coming up but first the uh, the week that was what do you got going on brother
1: Hey, John. Great to be here. Mm -hmm. Let me start off by telling you about an email, interesting email that I got uh, from a lady that suffers from rheumatoid arthritis, which you know at at advanced stages can be very, very debilitating and prevent someone from working. And the reason why she emailed me is because she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis back in 1995. So we're going back decades. And she's been treated for it ever since. She's been back and forth uh, at at work. And uh, she, she wanted to go on LTD recently because it's gotten pretty bad and you know I'm going to quote it's it's a lengthy email she sent me so I'm going to quote to just one uh, line and and then we'll focus on that and I'll explain why this is so significant she says every time i have asked my doctor to fill out one of those forms she's referring to long term disability yep. forms they laugh in my face and hmm. tell me there's no way you'll get this because quote you are not totally, totally disabled, disabled. Yeah. and you know th- this is very very important for people to understand. You know, as a disability lawyer, I I often come across people I, I would probably say on a weekly basis uh, who are struggling with their own doctors and their own treatment providers, whether they're physiotherapists, psychologists, whoever's treating them. To help them uh, apply for long-term disability and and you know support them medically to to be off work. Now let me make this clear. Uh, I'm talking about individuals whose doctors clearly say that the person cannot work. But what happens is that these doctors and treatment providers are confused by the term "totally disabled." When mm-hmm. you apply for long-term disability, you have to demonstrate uh, medically that you are unable to to do substantial aspects of your job. That's the qualification for you to get long-term disability, okay, for the first two years at least. And, you know, when a doctor or a psychologist or anyone else sees the term totally the word totally as part of that phrase totally disabled yeah. they immediately think what most people out there think naturally which is it means you are you know uh, comatose you are disabled for life because you can't walk or you know your brain dead i mean they're thinking the most catastrophic types of injury and illnesses as the qualification for getting long term disability and that is just not so it's not correct it's absolutely not correct. And it's not just me saying it. It's courts saying it, judges saying it. And in fact, insurance companies mm-hmm. acknowledging it. Because what happens, and I'll give you scenarios. Someone comes to me. They are, you know, they tell me they cannot work because of an illness or an injury or a combination of both. Then they show me letters from their doctors that say that, yeah, they can't go back to work, but the doctor is not, you know, helping them with the application. Right. And, you know, the insurance company naturally denies the claim. They say, you're not totally disabled. The doctor said, I told you, you're not totally disabled. We get involved. We start a legal claim. And guess what? Within a few months, we resolve the case. We resolve the case for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that the insurance company comes and willingly pays. Well, why would the insurance company then, that's been telling you, you're not totally disabled, why would they suddenly come and write you a check what, suddenly they become charitable? No. It's because they understand that if this ever went to court, if this ever went before a judge, really the test is not are you trained or comatose or you know have your legs and arms amputated. No. The test is much simpler than that. It's can you do substantial aspects of your own occupation for the first two years or uh, any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience beyond the two-year mark. That's, that's generally the case for most policies. So the message I want to send to people out there is this, and specifically to people, to doctors and to treatment providers. Totally disabled does not necessarily mean what you think it means. Okay. Very, very important to understand. It simply does not. All it means is that the person is unable to do substantial portions of their job. So John, if you lost your voice, for example, right now, you can still go and buy groceries. You, you can still take your kid to school. You can still go to the gym even, but you can't do your own job, which right. is, which is being a personality on the radio. So you would qualify. Arguably under a long-term disability plan. That's what people need to understand. Totally disabled does not mean what you think it means. It's a term invented by insurance companies to confuse you and to create this appearance that the bar is that much higher than it actually is.
0: The number to reach out, uh, 1-855-821-5900. Use it, write it down, keep it, disabilityrights.ca, and throw a help at in front of that, and you'll get the email address. we got lots more coming up, plus we'll give you details on something we call a pocket employment lawyer as well. It's pretty cool, pretty robust, so stick around for that. And the three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim, that is on the way as well. Just getting warmed up, lots more. Disability Law Show is on the way. This is Global News Radio. And back with more Disability Law Show, you want to go to disabilityrights.ca, the number one 821 5900 If you go to that website, you will be able to catch and listen to past shows and links to our television show as well. So check it out. That is also called the Disability Law Show. What else uh, you got going on, brother?
1: Well, let's talk about that website that we have, uh, MyDisabilityQuestions.com. And again, for people who haven't heard about this before, it's a free website we've created years ago to allow people, anyone really, to just post their question about their long-term disability claim uh, or friends or, or family members, anyone you're concerned about, you can just go and post your question, whatever that question is. I will answer it myself within minutes and it's free and it's anonymous and it's just a phenomenal thing, John. It's been used thousands of times. You can actually check through and look through and review other questions in the past uh, chances are your question has been asked yep. and answered so let, let me uh, uh, get get into it so, so this person writes my wife was denied long-term disability she's currently appealing just want to know our options well uh, whenever somebody asks me that question, what are our options when we are denied a long-term disability claim, I tell them, really, you have three options. First option, which is the worst one you could possibly do, is walk away. Walk away when legitimately you cannot work, or in this case, this gentleman's case, his wife cannot work, and it's supported by the doctors that she cannot work. Yep. So walking away, the, the the worst option, okay, because you're literally leaving money that's owed to you in the insurance company's pockets. Okay, second worst option, appealing. And the reason why appealing is such a bad idea It's such a bad idea because it's an internal process. You're not appealing it to a third party outside, external to the insurance company. You're not appealing uh, uh, – well, what you're trying to do really through an appeal is you're trying to essentially re-ask the the same group of people who denied you in the first place to reconsider their decision. What is their incentive to do so? Just because they're good people? You know, the, probably one of the reasons why they denied you in the first place, even though you had medical support for your disability, is because they have a quota they have to fill. And, and you know, th- that's what really aggravates me is that when they deny your LTD claim, John, they send you a letter. It's usually a letter. Uh, so they spend money on a stamp, perhaps. And they give you all these reasons of why your claim is denied or why it's going to get cut off if you already are on disability, and then at the bottom of the letter, usually there's a paragraph or two that talks about an appeal, and it makes it look formal, and it makes it look like, you know, they usually give you a deadline 30 days or whatever the deadline is, and you're thinking to yourself, I have to engage in that process. You know, that's really how I'm going to potentially reverse that position. No. No, that appeal is an internal process. There is literally zero leverage you have with an insurance company when you engage in an appeal, zero. They have no incentive whatsoever to reverse their decision. All that happens is that you're wasting more time, you're getting more frustrated, and you're getting uh, essentially more financially strapped as the weeks and months uh, progress, and you either don't have a decision, or you get a denial upon a denial upon a denial. So, going back to this gentleman's question, what are our options? Well, I'll tell you what the option is. The only option that I would recommend is to start a legal claim against the insurance company. Why? People say, you're a lawyer. It's self-serving for you to say that. You know, uh, Why should I listen to you? Well, you don't have to listen to me. You can go ahead and appeal, which is obviously what this gentleman and you know his wife are doing. I can guarantee you, John, that they're going to come back at some point down the road and say, oh boy, we should have listened to you. So why a legal claim? How is a legal claim different than an appeal? Very, very simple. Once we start a legal process, a legal claim, we are taking the decision-making power about the LTD uh, claim out of the insurance company's hands. We are starting a process whereby if we can't come to an accommodation or a settlement, an agreement with the insurance company, guess what? A judge is going to be deciding if the insurance company is correct or not. And I can tell you, uh, I've been before judges in the past, they're not sympathetic to insurance companies, especially when we have treating doctors that say that the individual is in fact disabled. So insurance companies not only uh, understand that once you start the legal process, there is a potential judge at the end of the road that could hammer them, but in addition to that, the other difference here is that when you're appealing a decision, uh, that appeal goes to a group of people who are employed adjusters who are employed by the insurance company. It doesn't really cost them anything to just keep denying your claim. But when we start a legal process, they have to get a defense lawyer, someone like myself, right? I used to do defense work myself. That's right. And sometimes they have in-house defense lawyers, they're on salary. Sometimes they they farm it out to lawyers on the outside and of course they get legal bills at the end of the month. The one thing insurance companies hate more then claimants on a claim that they have to pay is having to pay their defense lawyers money. They hate it. So what happens is when we start a legal claim, I usually use the analogy that the insurance company is starting to bleed the money by having to now legally defend the claim. They now have to pay their lawyers. Mm-hmm. Or, if, or if it's an in-house lawyer, well, that lawyer is on salary. They have to pay that lawyer to defend all these claims. They hate that. So you know we've changed the dynamic once we start the legal claim not to mention the fact by the way that uh, you y- you have more pressure on the insurance company by virtue of the fact that we know what we're doing you know james my my colleague who sometimes is on the show says people think that when you hire us you know you even the playing field with the insurance company but that's the reality is that we're actually tilting it in your favor because we understand the way insurance companies operate we, un- we understand sort of the logic we understand the pressure points and we know what to look for in their files you, know, you understand? We know how to attack them. So no longer is it a defensive situation where we're trying to defend you, or you try to defend yourself to the insurance company to get qualified for LTD. We are going on the attack. We are going after them. That costs them money, which forces them to the table to try and settle the case.
0: I want to keep on the uh, topic of appealing deadlines uh, when we uh, come back from a short break. You want to reach out to Savannah or James, for that matter, or a member of their team, 1855-1855. 821 email is help at disabilityrights.ca, and as mentioned, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com and ask your questions to get that answered uh, quite swiftly as well. The Disability Law Show continues, Global News Radio. Disability Law Show, you'll want to reach out, get a hold of Savannah or James, One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 855 821 5900 and disabilityrights.ca, the three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim. This is obviously something big enough and broad enough that you want to bring it up, right?
1: I do, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we always on every show talk about these appeals uh for long-term disability claims, both on the TV show uh as well as on on the radio shows that we do. So three things you have to know. And mm-hmm. again, I want to make sure people understand uh I am not saying that appeals never ever work. Just like I like I would never say that you can never win the
0: lottery, no, Exactly. Right? exactly. I, all,
1: all I'm saying is that when we're looking at what is the best course of action if you've been denied LTD, or or if you're being cut off LTD it's not to appeal that decision it's it's simply not uh so so let's talk about what you need to know about that deadline cuz usually okay. when they tell you in the letter that you have a right to appeal that decision they give you a, a time frame 30 days and You know, it's interesting to me how many times people, despite listening to me, call me in a panic because they say, you know, they say I have 30 days to appeal. Uh, What happens? You know, I'm on my 20th day now, uh, which kind of begs the question, why didn't you contact me before? (laughs) But 28 days, I got two more days. What's going to happen? Nothing is going to happen. These are arbitrary deadlines. Let's talk about what you need to know, what you must know about those deadlines that the insurance companies give you? Well, that's that's, the
0: the first one you put is that appeal deadlines are set by LTD insurers are arbitrary. They're set by the insurer and have no legal consequences whatsoever. What do you mean?
1: Yes, exactly. They have zero consequences. Nothing, nothing happens if you don't appeal, number one, and certainly if you don't appeal by the time frame that they give you. Right. Why do they, why then do they put these, 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 you know, deadlines there? Well, because they are trying to, to, um, uh, think they're trying to make you think that, that these these deadlines have a consequence right anytime you're faced with any deadline the, the immediate inference is that there is a consequence if you don't meet that deadline no these deadlines are absolutely arbitrary they're set by the insurance company they're not set by the government they're not set by anyone else they're set by the insurance company and and you know we're going to talk obviously uh about the next point here but they're set in an arbitrary manner it could be 29 days it could be 40 days it could be 90 days They mean absolutely nothing.
0: Next one is this: they are designed to control you by forcing you to make a decision to appeal or to abandon your claim.
1: Absolutely, and and think about that, John. I mean, if you're given a deadline uh, to appeal any decision, whatever that decision is, you know, you have a kid, and you tell your kid that you know you have until tomorrow afternoon to convince me why I should take you to your friends on the weekend. Your kid's gonna treat that deadline as a solid deadline. They they have to convince you by that deadline, or else, what's the or oh, else? Or else you don't get it. So what is what is the reason for those? Why won't insurance company just say you can appeal the decision, and not put a deadline? Yeah. Well, because that deadline is designed to control. Your thinking in terms of what your options are—they want to force you into a decision-making process. They've just shocked you by denying your case, uh, your claim, or, or cutting you off. Now they want to control your moves, right? And what are the moves they're trying to control? What are you going to do next? Are you going to go consult a lawyer? Are you going to go on Google and find out what your, uh, you know, what what the options are? Are you going to do what they're telling you, which is appeal? what are you going to do so it's designed to control you it's designed to force you to make that decision to appeal or not to appeal right or to abandon your claim right so so really important to understand they're not just giving you an arbitrary deadline they're doing it on purpose and it's that purpose that that you know really irks me because i've seen a lot of people fall into that trap of thinking that I have to appeal because if I don't appeal, there's no way that I could get the money that is owed to me. No, that's them forcing you to think that.
0: Again, we're talking about the three things you must know about the deadline for appealing the denial of your LTD claim. The third one is this. They're used to confuse you and make you think that you're appealing to a neutral third party, some sort of arbitration, or to someone at the insurance company who will look at your claim objectively. There's the keyword.
1: That's the it's exactly the keyword exactly, uh-huh. so you know this goes uh, hand in hand with with number two that we just discussed in terms of what is the purpose of these deadlines for appeals well. They are designed to confuse you, right? Because you're thinking to yourself, you're hearing my show, you're hearing us on TV, you're hearing other lawyers, you're googling this information. You see all these lawyers who do say that they do long-term disability, and most of them out there, if they know what they're doing, will tell you, no, these appeals are not the best option. It's a legal process that can actually force the insurance company to the table. Well. Uh, They want to confuse you. They want to make sure that you don't do that because it's not in their interest for you to get a lawyer. Again, people will say, you know, you're a disability lawyer, so it's self-serving for you to do so. It's true. This is our business. There's no question about that. But that does not make what I'm saying untrue. And, And I have had so many people contact me after trying these appeals, or sometimes uh, people contacting me when they've had these cases happen years and years ago before before they even heard of us, John. Yeah. And I, I had to tell them, listen, you know, you're out of time now because you really only have two years from when you were denied to start the legal claim. So it's really important to understand these appeal deadlines are meaningless. What is really important, however, is that two-year limitation period that you have that's set by law, okay? It's set by legislation and case law. And generally, the general rule I tell people is uh, you have a legal right to start a legal claim against the insurance company Uh, within two years of when you were first denied. Now, there's some case law that says that if you appeal and get rejected on that appeal, that extends that deadline. I wouldn't take a chance on that. I think that people need to understand and know and assume that if they wait too long and if they wait beyond that two-year limitation period, that two years from the date of first denial, they could be out of options because at that point, the insurance company literally has no uh, uh, reason whatsoever to pay you what you're owed.
0: We'll take a short uh, break, brother. Get to uh, some emails you want to send one along. In the meantime, help at disabilityrights.ca. If you just go to disabilityrights.ca, the website... You can catch uh, previous radio shows like this one, and as Savan just mentioned, you can see the TV show as well, the Disability Law Show. That's all coming up, and the phone number, of course, 1-855-821-5900, the Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. Disability Law Show is back to reach out, 1-855-821-5900. You can email as well. We'll get to one here in just a couple minutes. Uh, Help at disabilityrights.ca. First, so Pocket Employment Lawyer, that can be reached at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Now, it says employment, but this thing is just as important, and is vital to your uh, your part of the firm too, right, Savannah?
1: Yeah, it is. It is, and and you know I want to make sure people, uh, that the. People are aware of, the, of this new online tool that we created, which is I, w- I would characterize it as revolutionary, mm. because up until recently, you know, you had to go to a lawyer uh, and pay them uh, exorbitant amount of money just to get advice, let alone get some satisfaction and, and actually get the money that you're owed, uh, both on the employment side and the disability side. What this new tool does is it allows you for free and frankly anonymously get a, a very um, uh, basic analysis of your case. It, it, it basically uh, uh, asks you a series of questions on on the employment side, so you know you may have issues with your employer. Maybe you've been constructively dismissed. You've been harassed. You've been fired. Whatever happens, and uh, you know there's also a segment there that deals with disability. If, if you've had an injury or yeah. an illness, because oftentimes you know, John, people who have issues with their work, those issues stem from a disability of some sort. And so there there's you know an interplay between the two areas. So if you go to that to that website that you gave. You can actually input a few key pieces of information. You just select from some of the options there uh, what applies to you and, and your circumstance. And literally, instantaneously, you get this analysis of your case. And it's a starting point. It's a starting point to understand what your legal rights are, either on the employment side or on the disability side, or frankly, both. And then if you want to get in touch with us and get a more thorough uh, analysis and and have a discussion about your particular case and the options available to you and and what compensation we can get for you, well, then you can just click ahead, right? There's a button there. You can just click to contact us directly. You don't have to do that, but you can. There's nothing like this on the market, John. There isn't. We were the first ones to create the severance calculator to allow people to calculate their own severance, what it is that you're supposed to be paid if you're let go your job, this is a much more robust tool that deals not just with severance, it deals with constructive dismissals, harassment, human rights complaints, and it deals with long-term disability. So I urge people, just go and check it out. Even if you don't actually need it, go check it out because you never know if you or someone you know may need it.
0: Again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is the way to reach it. As Savan mentioned, it's free. It's anonymous. You don't have to put in your own name, your employer's name, nothing. Just go there, check it out. And if you do decide to uh, go further, there is a yellow contact button at the top, right? You can click on that and uh, get more answers for sure. Email, first one of the other day here. Help at disabilityrights.ca comes from Diana. Diana says, uh, Savannah, my husband and I have listened to your show, uh, the last few shows, and find them very informative and helpful. We're both teachers and are very involved in our union. We have a friend who is on LTD uh, for various medical reasons, and I know of others as well around our community. They all have had issues with their long-term disability, and our union doesn't seem able or willing to help them. My question is whether you can help them and whether they will have to pay anything upfront if you deal with the insurance company on their behalf. What do you think?
1: So, so first of all, uh, Diana, thank you really for for the kind words uh, to you and your husband. Let me just make this absolutely clear: there's nothing that you're paying front, nothing. Uh, certainly not for talking with us and getting the information you need. And, and you know, unlike some lawyers, I will tell you, John, you know, we don't put a contract in front of you when we meet. Uh, in fact, I loathe that. I, I hate the idea of a lawyer uh, you know, forcing a client to sign something against their will. Absolutely not. So no, you're not paying anything. We actually get paid at the end of the claim out of uh, uh, settlement monies that we get from the insurance company. So the idea is that uh, if we've given you bad advice or wrong advice, we're going to put all this time and effort and, and expend our own money not just the time, but the money that we need to get uh, medical records and, and whatnot, and we're going to lose all that. We're going to get nothing if we're in fact giving you right. the wrong advice. So our interests are aligned. Okay. So no, you're not paying anything. Now, with respect to the individuals here who uh, are having issues with disability uh, and and their unionized uh, uh, employees, so uh, there there is this concept of uh, of whether or not uh, external lawyers like myself. Uh, lawyers who are not union lawyers can help unionized employees with long-term disability claims? The answer is that sometimes we can, in fact, often we can, but not always. I can tell you, Diana, that we've actually helped quite a few teachers uh, and, in fact, some of those cases have made it to the news. So if you Google our firm and my partner James Fireman, you'll actually see some cases uh, where we've actually represented. It's been on the news and and we've gotten really good results for teachers struggling with their long-term disability claims. what we do when we're dealing with a unionized employee is we ask for the collective agreement. And without getting into too much of the uh, legalities in terms of when we can and cannot help an individual with their disability claim if they're unionized, I can tell you that uh, we, we we need to look at that, at that collective agreement. And if the collective agreement, generally speaking, doesn't really Uh, talk in detail, in significant detail about the long-term disability program that the person is entitled to, then generally we can actually help them. But if it looks like the collective agreement really spells out the test for disability, the amount you're supposed to get, like if it really has a lot, then it's contemplated by that agreement that it would be an issue that would be dealt with by the union. So you know, but even in those situations, by the way, we've we've you know reached out to the insurance companies directly, and they've agreed for us to act on behalf of our clients. So I I can tell you, Diana, unequivocally that we've helped teachers in the past. So chances are we can help you know your friends and and colleagues uh, who are having issues with their long term disability claims. Uh, But if you are a unionized employee, unlike on the employment side. Uh, that, you know, my partner, Lior, talks about uh, on his employment show, uh, where, you know, employment lawyers cannot help a unionized employee, or at least we can't. Uh, On the disability side, for the most part, in most instances, we, in fact, can help unionized employees who are having issues with their long-term disability insurers. All you got to do is just contact me, and we're going to look at the collective agreement, and within a few seconds, we'll tell you if we can help you.
0: Beauty. We'll uh, we'll take a, a short break. Back to more of your emails and questions to reach out. Yeah, one 855 821 the number, disabilityrights.ca, and help at disabilityrights.ca to uh, reach us through email. Back to those after a short break here on the Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. This is the Disability Law Show. Savannah is, uh, is taking your call, or at least taking your emails today, as we get to a bunch of those, as we do every week. They do pile up, so uh, be patient. We'll uh, We'll get to them, if not today, in following shows for sure. Help at disability. Rights. If you have other questions, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com and uh, to speak confidentially, that's easy as well. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. There is a lot of confusion when it becomes, or at least when it comes to the uh, the details on a uh, disability benefits policy. And one of them is uh, when they get cut off, and the other one is how long do these? How long does the term last? Generally.
1: So, so that's that's a very, very interesting question because I will get people contacting me, calling me and saying, my insurance company said I'm reaching the two-year mark right, and my disability right. benefits are going to end at that point. L- let me make something clear. The vast majority of long-term disability plans with insurance companies will take you to age 65. Okay? So – uh, if you are a 43 year old individual mm-hmm. and uh, you know you've been told by your insurance company that your benefits are ending uh, because you've reached a two year mark, I, I, it's very unlikely that your policy, unless it's one of those time limited policies and those exist by the way, you can have two year policies, five year policies, you can even have policies that take you beyond age 65. But it's very unlikely that in that individual's case, that his benefits truly end after two years. What's more likely is, again, the confusion that is generated by the adjuster who doesn't properly explain that what they mean is that they don't think you would qualify for LTD beyond that two-year mark. So let's zoom on this for a second, John. Again, we're talking generalities here because we do have to look on a case-by-case basis uh, at each individual policy when a person contacts us. Most policies contain uh, a test for LTD for the first two years that's different from beyond the two-year mark. So for the first two years, generally speaking, you have to demonstrate medically that you cannot do your own occupation because of your disability, because of your injury, because of your illness, or a combination of those two. But when you get to the two-year mark, and this is usually when people start getting, there's a lot of activity on the claim uh, you know, in the period leading up to the two-year mark, where the adjuster is trying to figure out if you can do some other occupation for which you're suited for. And this is key, right? I said for which you're suited for, but I want to underline that. If you are, uh, and I use the example usually, an extreme example, if you're an orthopedic surgeon uh, and uh, something happened to your hands um, and you can't operate, for example, well, then you can't do your own occupation within those first two years. You would qualify. But beyond the two-year mark... The question is, can you do any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience? So if there is a position for you, if you're able to go and teach orthopedic surgery that doesn't require you to operate, well, then you don't qualify for LTD beyond the two-year mark because you can do some other occupation for which you're suited for. But what happens if the insurance company comes to you, John, and says, okay, you can't operate, but... Uh, we want you to go and work at uh, Tim Hortons or Starbucks or Walmart. Nothing wrong with those jobs, but we want you to go and work there. Well, no, that's not what the test means. Right. To qualify beyond the two-year mark, you basically have to show that you can't work, and medically, for medical reasons, uh, you, you cannot work in any occupation for which you're suited for. Generally, th- when we look at that, we're trying to figure out if you can earn in another occupation uh, 60 65% of your pre-disability income. That's that's usually the test. Again, different policies will say different things. So you know, coming back, circling back to the initial issue, very rarely do I see policies that limit you to LTD for two years only, or for five years or ten years. Just like very rarely do I see policies that will take you beyond age sixty-five. The vast majority of them will pay you until age sixty-five if you qualify for disability under those uh, you know uh, under those criteria. So when the insurance company, the adjuster tells you. Your benefits are now going to end or they're about to end because you've reached a two-year mark. Don't take that to mean that there is no way for you to get those benefits beyond the two-year mark. More likely is the case that they simply think that you don't qualify for that expended test, the any occupation test. But here's the thing, John. If you cannot do any occupation that will pay you 60 to 65% of your pre-disability income at the two-year mark and your doctor supports you not going to, to work then you should be able to get benefits beyond that two-year mark. So be careful of that. Don't simply walk away from, from, from that money that is really owed to you.
0: Yeah, they, they, they refer to it as commensurate income as far as the percentage is concerned. But that, you know, people would have the fear that, hey, I'm a brain surgeon. They're going to make me go be a Walmart greeter or a barista. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, but it's just that's not commensurate, right?
1: Yeah, it, it's exactly that. And, and so, sometimes they're going to send you to, to uh, various assessors. Like right. they'll do a, a, a transferable skills assessment to figure out what other skills you have. So you know, and, and then you know, they, they, they send you a letter saying, uh, we've identified these 10 jobs that we think you can do now mm-hmm. after the two year mark. Right. And I get people calling me and saying, "What are they talking about? I can't do any of these things." <laughs> All my life, I worked as a mechanic, for example, and and, and suddenly now they want me to to go and, and I don't know, be a, a computer analyst or something. You know, no, 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 no. They they cannot. They have to be reasonable. They right. they simply can't. Uh, they can't do a theoretical analysis. There has to be a practical element, you know, to the discussion and to this the this test of can you do any other occupation for which you're suited for.
0: Okay. We'll get to uh, an email after we take a short break. It is help at uh, disabilityrights.ca. Simply, the website is disabilityrights.ca. Past shows, as far as radio is concerned, and television is... Well, you haven't caught our TV show, the Disability Law Show. Same name. You want to uh, check that out as well. The phone number, 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue. Hang on, Disability Law Show. On Global News Radio, Disability Law Show. You still got uh, some time here to send an email over. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Craig, you're up next. Pal he says, uh, "My mother, who was 78, has been in a nursing home since 2017. And last year, when a worker tried to move her for a sh- for a shower, he didn't follow procedure, and she ended up falling, breaking her hip. She had surgery, and there were complications. She passed away two m- uh, after two months at the hospital." There was an investigation by the ministry and also a coroner's report, all of who said that her injuries uh, from the fall resulted in her passing away. Uh, I'm extremely upset by this, as are my other two siblings. This home was found responsible by the ministry, and the worker that caused this is not working there any longer. Is there anything we can do here legally? This nursing home needs to be held accountable.
1: I 100% agree with you, Craig, and I'm very, very sorry for what happened. I'm sorry, and my condolences go to you and your family. Um, John, this reminds me of a case I had a few years back. Uh, It's a similar actually type of a case. You know, I I get very, very upset when I read in the news stories, uh, not just about things like child abuse and and neglect, but same thing with the elderly, specifically when we're dealing with nursing homes and, and those kinds of facilities that are tasked with taking care of some of the most vulnerable members of the population. It, it it is absolutely appalling to me when I see these kinds of things happen, and I, I can tell you, Craig, you have legal options here, and you know these nursing homes and these kinds of facilities, they they are terrified of the public scrutiny that comes with one of these uh, events. Now, how do we deal with a case like this from a legal standpoint? Well, first of all, Craig, you need to understand, obviously, I can't bring your mother back. This tragedy cannot be undone, but but uh, you have you have the ability here uh, to cause the 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 facility that was responsible for this to perhaps change course or take measures in the future that will protect others and, and the way you do this is again through that legal process so John when we're dealing with a case where somebody dies and and family members want to um Force that legal claim and and you know go for compensation. The people ask me, what's the compensation looking like? How the and again, they're not after money. It's more of, of you know the effect that getting those facilities to pay for what right. they've done. It, it, it's 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 you know what comes from that, right? Uh, and I, I fully understand. So let's talk about the actual money itself. The, the law in Canada is not that sympathetic to fatalities. Uh, and what I mean by that is that somebody who's older or younger, believe it or not, uh, the family members are not going to be owed that much money. You know, a tragedy like this, you'd think that if this was in a US courtroom, a jury would give you millions and billions of dollars. That doesn't happen here. Here, the family members are entitled to certain expenses to be reimbursed, funeral expenses, things like that. They're also entitled to certain damages under Section 61 of the Family Law Act. So if you Google Family Law Act Ontario, go to Section 61, you will actually see. And it's not just in a case like this, John. It's also in car accidents or any type of an accident where there is negligence involved you can or y- y- the family members uh, c- can claim that kind of a compensation now in the case that i had a few years ago that mirrors what craig is talking about here i actually reached out to the nursing home mm-hmm. before even starting the legal process and i wrote them a very detailed letter and i it was very scathing and i told them you get your insurance company involved right now you have an opportunity because my clients which were an adult brother and sister you have an opportunity to potentially go to a pre-litigation mediation to try and resolve the case. They agreed to do that. And guess what, John? We resolved the case. It took the whole day they resolved the case. They resolved the case to my client's satisfaction from the standpoint of of the monetary amounts. And I can tell you, there were other assurances that were given to my clients to ensure that these kinds of things never happen again. So you can hold these facilities accountable. We've done this before, not just with these facilities, with other types of scenarios where vulnerable individuals in the population have been either injured or you know, the injury has led to their death, as, as in this case. Uh, we, do this, uh, we do this with a very heavy heart, but I think that when families actually take that step, it's an important step because if you don't hold these facilities accountable, guess what? It's going to happen to someone else. So I actually think there's an obligation on the individual to do this. Uh, you know, the family members. And and Craig, you know, I suggest after the show we get in touch with each other and I'll explain all the options to you and your family. You have options and I can tell you uh, this facility uh, will be made to pay.
0: Look, we only got like a a minute or two left to go here. Let me ask this, and I know we get this question quite often through email. Basically, when you settle a a LTD case with an insurance company uh, for your client, how quickly does your client get their money? They ask that, right?
1: (laughs) They do. They always ask that fast. That. I'm not going to tell you that we're in the mediation and the insurance company adjuster takes out their checkbook That'd and literally nice. writes. Uh, mind you, uh, years and years and years ago, I had a case where that's exactly what happened, uh, but but that doesn't usually happen. So so uh, you know he, he, here's what generally happens: uh, we go to a mediation or or a settlement conference, we agree on a settlement after you know hard negotiations with the help of a mediator. And it's part of the settlement that the insurance company has to send a check within a matter of weeks. Sometimes I've gotten checks within days of the settlement. So, you know, this is not something. It's not a process that's going to take you years or even months after settlement. As soon as we settle, the insurance company will cut a check. Sometimes it takes a few weeks, but they will cut a check fairly quickly, and you will get that money that's owed to you. Uh, you know, really in no time. So, so it's a very, very efficient process.
0: Good for another week, uh, brother. We'll uh, we'll leave it there. You want to pick up and talk to Savannah or James, a member of uh, their team, you can uh, you can do so. 1-855-821-5900 is the phone number. The website, disabilityrights.ca. You go there, you can listen to uh, past radio shows, get more information, or catch the television show. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you haven't checked it out yet, it's, uh, it's a great tool. It is fairly new. And gaining a lot of steam for sure, that is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. So go there and have a look at that. And it's uh, completely anonymous, and there's a contact button for that one as well. Till next time, the Disability Law Show right here on Global News Radio.